We're continuing in our sermon series, Awesome, The Names and Nature of Jesus. I had planned to just preach this for four weeks in January, but here we are in our second week in February, continuing to look at Jesus, which is the heart of our life together. He is the heart of our life, of our worship, and really of preaching. Paul would say, I, I have nothing to do, right, but to preach Christ. I am resolved to preach Christ crucified. And so we're just going to continue uh, this week and next week just looking to Jesus. What do we see him, and, and especially in this book of Hebrews, we've looked at him as the obedient Christ. Uh, we've looked at him as well as and celebrated the supremacy of Christ, the joy of Christ, that he's a joyful God, the missional Christ with his hospitality and our call to that, as well as the reaching Christ who we have to be about, taking his name and his goodness and his gospel to all. And this morning we're going to see two more names that remind us of his nature, who he is, but listen, we have to deal with this is not easy stuff in Hebrews chapter 12. It's not good stuff, but we want to deal with the whole counsel of Scripture and to celebrate the good stuff, but also to see the things that we need to see. There are five sections of warnings in the book of Hebrews. I've been talking about that throughout this book, you see these suggestions that they shouldn't shrink back from their faith, they shouldn't mix their faith with other philosophies or other religions. And last week, they should not isolate with their faith. They've got to engage others and share Christ with others. Well, now here comes this fifth and final warning. You've just seen them since the very beginning of this book, and we can't leave this book, this revealed word, without having heard at least one of them. Uh, these warnings, in some sense, are, are pretty harsh, but they're going to point us to the nature and name of Jesus so that we will, as this chapter say, says, endure well, that the, we will endure the race that is set uh, before us. This author, whoever this is, God speaking through this author, has had four other warnings. Don't neglect the faith. Don't, don't have disbelief. Uh, don't stop maturing in your faith. Don't shrink back. And now this last and final warning, don't refuse God. God is speaking, and don't refuse what he says to you. These, these people, go back a chapter in chapter 11, these people who were in the hall of fame of faith, they went through tough times. As we just heard so beautifully sung for us, whatever befalls us, whatever befalls us, God will be our vision. Keep that before us. Whatever befell them, these great heroes of the faith, they endured well. They did not stop living by faith. Verse 25, they didn't refuse God. Verse 12, they did not fall short of the grace of God. And so he says to us in very strong fashion, don't refuse him. He even adds at the very end of that, quoting another scripture from Deuteronomy, you, you don't fall back because he is, you don't refuse him because he is a consuming fire. Um, and he leaves out that part of, of Deuteronomy, the full quote, where he's not only a consuming fire, he is a jealous God. These verses here, verse 26 and 27, are tough verses. 
They're pointing us back to the wilderness. They're pointing us back to Sinai where God had spoken to the people of God, but they not only didn't listen, what that really means, they did not heed what he was saying. And they had a long history of a people that could not enter the Holy Land because they were stiff-necked, they would not bend, and they would not heed what God had said. They refused. I've been thinking a lot this week about our men's retreat last week and what the Lord had done in those days and still learning and thinking through life lessons from that. But it it got me thinking back to a men's retreat I led at my very first church as a pastor. I took these guys water, white water rafting. And and as we were going to uh, raft the Chattooga, we stopped in Atlanta to spend the night. And we went to my, for the very first time for me, we went to a Brazilian steakhouse. I don't know if you've been to a chuasco, but they basically bring out 10 20 different cuts of meats to you and they have a a a little in that in that particular restaurant and others i've been to it's just this little circle card one side's red and one side's green and if you leave up the green they're just going to keep bringing cuts i mean just keep bringing it and for what we paid i was like keep bringing it right (laughs) but this is a men's retreat this is some of the first time I really had with these guys to hang out. And so I had that green. I was like, yeah, I'm loving this and loving that and loving that. And I'm kind of getting full. <laughs> but yeah, I'll have some of that. And I'll have some. Dude, I'm, I'm really done. Is anybody else done? Everybody else is on green. I ain't turning this thing over. I'm not going to be the first one to, 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 to refuse the meal. Not me. And those 10, 20 guys, we were miserable. Not just that night, throughout the night. How about whitewater rafting with 10 10 pounds of meat in your body? Because none of us would flip the card and say, stop. And these people just were stiff-necked. They wouldn't flip. And they refused God over and over and over. God spoke from Sinai. It's this recounting back. And even when he's speaking, they're doing unthinkable things. And so this word to us, and it's a tough word. This author offers no cushion. This author wants it to shock. I love what one commentator said. This is a threatening quotation that he flings like a lightning bolt. To the people of God. Do not refuse God. He has said wonderful things, and we're going to get into that, of God's love for us and all that God has gifted to us in and through his son, our mediator, Jesus Christ. But he's bringing up allusions to Haggai too about the judgments of the nations. God shook the whole earth in judgment, and he will do it again. But then this word. His kingdom is coming. And nothing will be able to shake it. Look to the hope that is coming. So you hold on. You endure and don't refuse whatever he's calling you to do and to be and to say because there's a kingdom coming that that cannot be shaken. But don't you be shaken now. You need to. We need to. I need to. Whatever he has said to press through them And to fix my eyes on Jesus Christ, 
the encumbrances, the adversity, the pain, the hurts, the disappointments, and the temptations of this life can certainly make us stumble. They can, they can make us maybe even paralyzed. Put your eyes on Jesus Christ and don't refuse what he is saying, what God is calling us to be. And he really gives us two pictures here. And I love Dick Eastman's book that I borrowed some from. Two names and, and, and an a, and a, and a insight into the nature of Jesus here. And the first one is this. Here's, here's why. Here's why we never refuse. Because God is, as we heard sung this morning so beautifully by our choir, he is awesome. When I say it, I sound like I'm talking Valley Girl from the 1980s, right? It's awesome, dude. I, I, there's something about that word that's kind of been hurt in our culture because of the 1980s. It's not what I heard this morning. He is awesome and worthy of our reverence and awe or godly fear. And so this author is saying that to the people in verse 28. That's the right response. You don't refuse him, but you live with a life of awe before him because of who he is. That's always been the call. You go back to the Psalms, Psalm 33 and 34. Let the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Fear the Lord, ye who are his Saints, if you go just back a few verses, when, when the author of Hebrews is making his point, he says, that was the response of Moses. Fear and trembling to be in the presence of God. We're going through the book of Joshua on Wednesday nights, at least on two occasions in that book. Joshua falls on his face when he's on in the very presence of God. That kind of awe. And it just points us to that future reality, that unshakable kingdom that's coming. And when John... When John sees the activity of heaven in Revelation and just watches the 24 elders and the, the living creatures, the common response is falling on their faces. There's so much of it. I wonder if that's partly why John does that when he shouldn't. Because we got a little bit at the end of Revelation where there's an angel and John just, it's kind of like being at a mass or a Episcopalian service where you're getting up and down so much and you hadn't been in forever. And so when somebody, you know, you just kind of, and so there's something holy and he falls down and the angel says, get up, I'm not him. Don't worship me. But John in chapter one of verse 17 has the right response. There is Jesus, the one uh, who is the beginning and the end. And John just falls on his face. He gets it right. Um, you and I, as God is speaking, we need to be in awe of that, in awe of that, and to say yes to however he is leading and not refuse him. There is something right when we talk so deeply about our relationship with Jesus and, and the friendship we have with him. But there has to be awe. I think it was in the spring of 1981. I remember exactly where I was. It was an unsettling moment. I was sitting on the top bleachers in the old armory by the Colosseum. And I remember sitting there and just hear the crowd getting a little bit louder than they should have gotten. Like there was screaming and people pointing right behind me. Now I knew why I was in that building. I, I had told my dad, I've got to be in that building because I've got to see him. I've just got to see him. His name was Andre the Giant. He was the eighth wonder of the world. 
a professional wrestler standing about seven foot four, 500 pounds. And I had to see him. So I'm sitting on the top bleachers and people start screaming. They're all pointing behind me. And I turn from the top bleacher and I'm about three feet from this monster of a man who's eyeballing me. Eye to eye, I'm on the top bleacher. I'm telling you, it was unsettling. I'm like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, dude, this, this guy could eat me. This, no, no, he could floss with me. I mean, that's how big this monster was. It was unsettling. Oh, I pray we know the warmth of the love of Jesus. Don't run from that. But there's something right to be unsettled, to be in awe, to have godly, right fear, not misplaced fear, but right fear before the Lord. Don't refuse him. He is love, yes. But there's something to be said here as this author makes sure we don't miss. We ought to be in awe. In his book, Dick Eastman, when he's talking about the awe of Jesus, he actually goes back to tell the story of Samson's birth and about how the angel of the Lord meets with his mother. She's barren and says he will do this work. And, the, and, and her husband says, well, well, could you have the angel come and tell me that? And it's interesting in that con- conversation with the angel, the angel of the Lord is asked, what is your name? So that when your words are fulfilled, we may honor you. But the angel of the Lord said to them, why do you ask my name? For it is wonderful. Now, some commentators think this is the pre-incarnate Christ who's come up to share this news. Maybe so, maybe not. But this, this, this name would be fitting. Because this name not only means wonderful, sheer wonder, it means incomprehensible. And again, don't, don't mishear what I'm saying here, but I love how one commentator says it, or translator says it. It's terror laced with glory. It ought to cause right, not misplaced, but right fear. It's why we gather, as Renee said this morning, to worship and to be in awe. And listen, if we're not in awe of him, just like I was unsettled with a giant, the giants of life will become a lot bigger if I don't fix my eyes on Jesus Christ and in, and in in awe of him. If I don't fix my eyes on him, those things of this life, temptations and hurts, disappointments, they'll become so big. Be thou my vision. Let me be in awe of him. And those giants will become so small because I'm trusting him and I'm not refusing him. And then very quickly as we close, it's not, as, it's not overtly here, but I love this name Dick Eastman reminds us of, and, it, and it's another reason why we don't refuse him. And you go back to verse 24. We didn't read it this morning. And it talks about Jesus as the mediator of the new covenant. We worship him, not just because he's awesome, because he's beautiful. And he's beautiful because he bled. He's beautiful because he was the mediator of the new covenant. I love the praise song. When I was doing college ministry, this was the cutting edge uh, new praise song, Better is One Day, based off of a couple of songs, uh, Psalms, right? I think it's 84. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. And then going uh, to Psalm 27. But I love what he asks. The psalmist asks in verse 4. He asks for a couple of things. Let me dwell in the house of the Lord. But then this other request. Would you let me see your beauty? Would you let me see 
the beauty of the Lord. It is the most horrific moment in all of human history, but it's the most beautiful moment in all of human history when Christ stood in the gap for his people. Beautiful. Listen, we, we get it wrong with the way we portray Jesus Christ. Uh, I was, somebody and I were talking about The Chosen this morning. The Chosen gets this wrong. Every movie gets this wrong. The, the picture of Jesus in my fellowship hall of my childhood church, and I know Jesus looks just like that, but it gets it wrong. Our picture in the fellowship here gets it wrong. He was not beautiful by this world's standards. Isaiah 53 is very clear about that. He had no stately form or majesty that you would even look at him, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. In fact, he was like one whom people hide their faces. The cross is so beautiful. The cross bearer is beautiful. He's beautiful because in Hebrews we're reminded again he left heaven and sympathized with us. Our high priest took on flesh and he knows our stuff and our hurts. He's beautiful in that way. He's beautiful in Hebrews because he's the one who ever lives even right now to make intercession for you and me before the Father over the things we're going through. But at the heart of it, verse 24, he's beautiful because it's his blood that's better than. He is the mediator of the new covenant. So how is it you and I could refuse whatever he's calling us to be and to do? That's what our choir sang for us this morning. Your will be done. Amen. Let it be. What are those places this morning? Would you be open to the Holy Spirit and in response to this word to say in your life, wherever that is, stop refusing God there. Maybe it's you're not forgiving someone. Maybe it's a call to ministry or, or, or to serving and you've refused him. Maybe it's a call to be in a, in a small group or an accountability group and you've known you've got to do that to get to where the Lord wants to either heal you or, or, or to use you or to mature you, but you've just said no to that. Maybe it's to obedience. You've just said, no, you can't have that part of my life. How is it you and I, if we're, if we're open to the Spirit, open to this Word, the people of God heard, saw him on Sinai, saw that activity, he spoke clearly, and yet they did not heed, and they refused. The author here says it in graphic terms, don't refuse whatever God is saying to you. How is it you and I need to respond to this Word? Let's affirm our love and our awe of him. It's him, 154, verses 1 through 3. 